Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 22nd episode of the Truth Island podcast. The words meaning and happiness are typically tossed around casually in the same dryer of conversation. We might hear someone say, I love my job. It gives me a purpose, and I've never felt happier. When hearing these two things used together so casually, it is easy to conclude that our happiness and meaning must be one and the same. If something makes us feel good, then surely it must be meaningful. Suppose, however, you derive a great deal of happiness in attending the movies twice a week. Is there any meaning in you sitting in a crowded theater munching on popcorn in front of actors on a giant screen that can't see, hear you, nor probably even care that you are there? A lot of us also derive happiness going to shopping malls on the weekend. We run into the fitting room and take pride in how we look. We envision how others might react to our new wardrobe. We throw down our credit cards and leave with bags of happiness or so we think. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever tried on a pair of pants that helped change the world in some significant way? Did those new pair of shoes bring you that much happiness and allowed your daughter to do better on her math test? These are some tough challenges we faced in first deciding whether meaning and happiness are one and the same, and if not, which one matters more? Joining me to help bring clarity to this situation is film producer Dallas. Dallas, tell me your thoughts on the conundrum that I just described. Yes, thanks, uh, Aaron. Um, get those uh, thoughts whenever I buy a pair of pants. It's uh, I'm, I'm elated. <laughs> <laughs> Were they life-changing pairs of pants? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, no, I, I definitely feel like uh, it comes from within uh, rather than external, whether it's material uh, objects or a house or the, or the new car. I'm of a, of a mind that uh, meaning and happiness are definitely not the same. Meaning is the only thing that you can create uh, to give you an enduring goal. And in fact, it's the only goal. Happiness is fleeting. In, in some ways, it's a foolish and shallow pursuit. Meaning is the only thing that can make pain and shallowness bearable, actually. I want to um, jump into a yeah. little bit with you on this idea of happiness as fleeting and meaning as everlasting. If we, if we think about this, like with, with the pair of pants, we, we have happiness, but how how long does it last, right? Like all of these things have a, a, like as soon as we try that pair of pants on and then maybe we try it on again in front of our friends we get a few compliments and that certainly one could argue that derives happiness but once you wear that wardrobe again for a second time the happiness is already lost yeah it's it's uh it's transient kind of moves moves through and past us and uh once again we're kind of left with ourselves and as i mentioned earlier, um, the feeling of peace or comfort or meaning that one gets from within is, I think, the, what's really important at the end of the day. 
and wherever you get that from, uh, whether that's through relationships with friends and family, we, we, we have to find it from within. I like that. We, we have to find it uh, the, the, that our happiness and or our meaning comes from within. And the thing about meaning is that if we take meaning in something, it's typically something that can't just be achieved right away, right? Like if we, for example, take meaning in enjoying delicious chocolates, for example, that's something that can be fulfilled right away. Like I can eat those chocolates and be like, yes, my ultimate meaning has been satisfied. But meaning kind of requires a, a much longer duration in order to fulfill, would you say, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that even there's certainly times uh, in our struggle to to make meaning out of things, especially if it's something that's adversarial that's happening in our lives, it's tougher to uh, to you know find out to, to sort through all that and and come out of it with some understanding uh, because it's painful, right? Uh, who wants to go through uh, the challenges and the ups and downs of losing a job or uh, a spouse or you know whatever it might be i like that so it's almost you know i, I think of um this cartoon right and you know the hero's going through the forest and there's always <laughs> two paths right and one path is the super rosy path with like chipmunks and flowers and the other one's like this nasty rocky path and you would say oh well come on you dummy go through the easy path right and i i find like the same thing happens between meaning and happiness like instinctively the path with the chipmunks and the rosy flowers is the right path. And the one that's totally rocky and, and you will definitely fall down seems like the path to avoid. So mm. I'm wondering like how, how, how do we train our minds to like see these paths? You know, I'm wondering, I'm wondering how, mm. how we can kind of better recognize this. Believe me, I would love to go through life on that path with the chipmunks and, you know, <laughs> The, the blue jays and the flowers. And sometimes that is the right path. But I think for me, I, I, I've made and everybody makes uh, mistakes uh, in life. And I think it's actually by making those, those mistakes, you know, that we learn from it and learn how to take a new pathway um, from that. And um, like I said, I've, I've gone through some challenges that I would not have signed up for all of us have had those experiences. And I think that's what makes life rich and, and powerful and alive and, and really like nurtures our being. But as, as to your question as to how can you choose ahead of time? I don't know if we really can choose <laughs> ahead of time because uh, that rosy, you know, path with the chipmunks, a hundred feet in could turn into like a deadly forest, right? Yeah, I, no, I like that. And I, I think that's typically what does happen to the hero is that his kind of like sort of lazy impulses kick in first, as they do with all of us. Yeah. And then some kind of force of nature forces him to go through the rocky path, figure out, hey, it's not so bad. Or, hey, wow, I've grown or I picked up this new skill along this path. And it's often not our, it's, it's often us not making that decision. I think that's a really good point, Alice. Absolutely. We're thrown curveballs. I often use that analogy, like something comes at you that you didn't expect. And 
the power that you have is how am I going to react to this event, whatever it is, you know, the losing the job or losing the, the relationship or a family member, you know, going through a health crisis. Um, and then it's like, how do I react to it? I think is where there's a, a powerful mo a moment of, of power and of agency and where you are able to kind of like face it. And I love that uh, saying, you know, regarding fear. I don't know if you've ever heard it, but there's, there's two ways you can deal with fear, right? F everything and run <laughs> <laughs> or uh, face everything and recover. And um, I've always found that a useful uh, means of kind of, you know, dealing with a situation where I'm in a lot of fear. And, you know, I try as much as I can to, to face it, but it's not always easy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that what you said about how we react. So let's say you're thrusted upon the rocky road over there. Yeah. You have, you can react of... I can't climb these rocks. They're too sharp. I'm going to fall down. I'm going to break my teeth. And, or you have the option of like, okay, this really is painful for me right now, but I'm going to overcome it. And yeah. you, you sort of derive meaning, like, like you derive meaning traversing like, like a much more tougher path than you would just walking along the easy path. Absolutely. And there's an incredible amount of, um, self-esteem also that comes from facing challenges in life. And uh, I think that's part of a, a beautiful part actually of the human condition is by facing those challenges and overcoming them, as you just said, then I get this inner confidence, you know, that I can face the next challenge. And, you know, we might not be able to meet the challenge a hundred percent, you know, cause that, that doesn't always happen. Right. Sometimes we walk away from it a little bit bruised or uh, broken in some way, but it, it, it makes us, it builds character. I used to, I hate, I hate, hated when people used to say that to me, you know, it builds character, you know, yeah, you go through it. You yeah. Know? It's kind of a contentious <laughs> term right now. People, people yeah. are like, uh, you know, um, but but yes, I I, I think I, I think it, it it does build characters. It also gives our lives story arcs. And I know that you're a writer, and every every good story has the hero facing difficulty. I I can think of very few stories in which the hero just had a rosy journey and was like, and then the hero ate his birthday cake with a giant smile. You know, I can't imagine reading that page after page after page. So I think that these struggles create, they give each of us story arcs that we're proud of. We're like, oh yeah, and then I was thrusted into that situation and I did this and that and, you know, thankfully, my quick thinking saved me. Whereas I, I don't think we, I think we would find that person incredibly boring who has no story arc. I agree with you. And one of the biggest movies that made an impression on me when I was a young man, because I'm, uh, I'm of an age where I did go to the movie theater seven, <laughs> seven times to see this particular movie. I was a kid. And uh, whether you think it ill or you really liked the movie, uh, Rocky is something that stands yes. out as a, a hero's journey for sure. And what I liked about Rocky was at the end of the fight, if you remember, 
he loses. Yes, he does. So that gets back to what I was saying about how things may not necessarily work out the way you intended. What a journey, right? The guy goes through coming from nowhere and nothing and is able to build a relationship with Adrian. Sure. Right? And he's able to uh, show up in so many ways that where he goes beyond his limits. And uh, it's, it's just a powerful story. You know, it's funny. I actually, I really love the first and second Rocky movies the best. Okay. And after that, I actually feel like it kind of um, takes a little bit of a nosedive. Oh, and, not, yeah. not, and, and not because yeah. Stallone is, is not a talented writer or a talented actor. It's because I don't feel for Rocky anymore. Once he becomes rich, like once right. he has that nice house and right. he's just defending the title, his arc, his story arc, isn't that interesting anymore because it's like, okay, let's say he loses the title to Mr. T or whatever. He's still incredibly rich. He still has like a bunch of money <laughs> and the family. And it's like, that doesn't make for a great story anymore when, when we, when we were already set and it's like, oh, okay, the title went to him and, and now it's back to me. No big deal. Everything's still fine I, in this universe. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Certainly the, the first one, like I said, left an, left an imprint on me. And specifically because we get to see him in this, he's in this dumpy old apartment, right? When we first meet him. And he's got those uh, turtles, I think, that he's taking care of. And he's got this new relationship with this girl who's kind of awkward and a regular Joe, a regular guy, you know, trying to get his, get his legs underneath him. And you can't help but pull for the underdog, right? You know, I feel like that's also something in film that's kind of missing. I feel like a lot of films today, they have the underdog who ends up with this incredibly gorgeous looking, confident woman. But, but, but Rocky is one of those stories where he not only picks himself up, he also uplifts someone who lives in the same poor yes. Philadelphia area as he does. And I'm like, you know, that's just brilliant right there. And I, I think that we, 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 we've completely missed the mark on, on a lot of stuff that we're watching today. Definitely, definitely. I would love to uh, be able to see more stories where it's about people who we can relate to, you know, who give us access to the struggle of, uh, of, of you know, the regular person who's out there today. I, I definitely, um, I'm working on a couple of projects where I'm, I'm addressing that. And I think there should be more of that, certainly in Hollywood, um, but even in the ind independent films, which is where I come out of working on films that where you have an opportunity to tell a story that is uh, unorthodox. Yes, yes. You know, and um, there actually is a, a Netflix show titled Unorthodox. I don't know if you've heard of this. <laughs> My mom's a big fan. <laughs> yeah, of that show? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I didn't know if I would be into it necessarily. Uh, it's basically about a, a, a Jewish girl in a very Hasidic environment. And she's trying to find her independent voice, you know, throughout the, the, the series. So it's, it's a really interesting unique way of, of giving us a, a story that we wouldn't necessarily see out there on the, uh, on the big screen.
Absolutely, absolutely. And um, speaking of Jewish voices, I yeah. think we should probably uh, dive into Richter Frankel. Great. Yeah, that uh, I'm just saying that Victor Frankel and his story, uh, his book *Man's Search for Meaning*, really influenced me as uh, as a young man, and particularly because it provided uh, some filament of hope that your suffering isn't completely random and pointless, that that it matters that you survive uh, what it is, whatever it is that you're going through to to try to alleviate not only the suffering of yourself, but of those around you. And he certainly did that by writing that book and by working in the school of psychotherapy that he did. And it was, it's, it's a powerful story that, that resonates with me. One of the things that I, I take away from that book is when Viktor Frankl was taken into the concentration camp, he was already close to 40 years of age. He wasn't, mm -hmm. he wasn't a, young, a young person going through this. And he actually was already a psychologist. So like before he even entered there, he already had, he was on his way to being um, you know, a, a more renowned uh, psychotherapist. And he was actually writing a book. And he said the thing that kept him alive most in the camp was being able to complete that book one day. Like that was like the one thing that he could, held on to that that gave his life meaning and gave it purpose whereas that's a that's very counterintuitive like like if if i if if one of us was thrown into some kind of camp we would make our meaning and purpose let me get as much food as i can let me survive let me do whatever it takes to see tomorrow but it's actually not that like it's actually the, the prisoners that focused more on making sure that they were warm or got the best food they're the ones that kind of became the most distraught and, and the most upset with their circumstance and him being able to find meaning in, in some kind of external thing outside of the camp is what actually gave him like a constant ray of hope. That is exactly correct. And, and what moved me as a young man to actually, he's not the only reason, but he's, he's a, a big part of it for why I decided to go on and become a writer um, was because basically I derived meaning and satisfaction from doing so. And I, even to this day, am driven to create a story. And as we were just touching on to try to tell stories for, of characters that don't get a voice out there in the, in the world, uh, through normal channels and it, it pushes me and motivates me to uh, look within and to look what's going on outside in the world and you know we've just gone through or are going through yeah I shouldn't say we're not we're not through it yet but this, <laughs> I pan wish. this pandemic um, it really allows a lot of time to reflect for me as a, as a writer and to uh, right now, I'm currently working on a story that's actually uh, centered around my girlfriend's life and, and all the kind of trials and tribulations that she's gone through, but setting it in the, in the age of COVID. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. So I think that what Viktor Frankl was able to do, you know, in this concentration camp, writing this book, as you say, and having that be 
what kept him alive, it really makes a lot of sense, you know, because it comes down to what, you know, what am I going to pass on when I leave this planet? And I think for a lot of us, it's that happens certainly through our children, if we're fortunate enough to have any, but it's also through whatever means of expression uh, we found during our lifetime and how that's going to, people are going to remember us by that. I think that's fantastic. I love this idea of um, like legacy almost like, like yeah. we're, we're leaving and we think of legacy always in terms of the mansion and like the will <laughs> that requires like three lawyers to decipher, but we never think of legacy as in the artwork I left behind or the writing or the book that I left behind. You know, it's, it's really funny. And, and in some ways that can even have, more power and more impact on successive generations than like, yeah, you, you know, your dad left you $8,000. Go, go buy something with that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, 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 I speak to people often and they say, well, I'm not this or I'm not that, you know, I'm not a writer or a, I'm not an artist, but take a diary, for example, many people who aren't novelists or writers can keep a diary, right? Sure. Right. And yeah. And just, it's so fascinating reading, you know, people's memoirs or diaries. And there's so much, you know, that can be conveyed that's meaningful from just keeping a diary. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a great thing. And, and I've always wondered, you know, and I, I think I've had this conversation before, like what was in the mind of my grandfather when he was uh, in World War II and all this other stuff. And I think a journal is a great way to, to create like a snapshot of like, Hey, this is what I was thinking when I was 23 and, and, and being able to pass that on to your kids and your grandchildren, I think is a, a wonderful gift to give them. Um, I, I want to pick your mind because I think both of us have the uh, artistic temperament or flair, if you would. And yeah. um, do you find, and this is something I find when I'm doing writing or any, any kind of artistic project is it allows me to cope some of the unpleasant things around me like I'm, I kind of zone the unpleasantry out if I have some kind of medium to distract myself with do you find that to be true Dallas yeah yeah there's there's a great uh, a, a warm blanket if you will that um, and some people call it a writer's cave uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but when I kind of can kind of immerse myself in um, a, a piece that I'm writing, it allows me to uh, find that happy place. <laughs> we, we talk about happiness, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I by no means want to suggest that, you know, happiness has no place on this planet and not at all. You know, there, there's certainly things that we do that give us incredible meaning and make us very happy at the same time. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think it, it does give me that warm, fuzzy feeling. But I think sometimes, like, if there's some lingering issue that you're worried about, like, you're, you're worried about, oh, my goodness, my, my friend is doing this, or my, um, I just, my, my girlfriend is, we're arguing about this. I feel like when you have that artistic outlet, it sort of allows those problems to kind of move into the into the background and, and your artistic hobby sort of takes place more in the foreground and and that 
can actually positively affect your mood. It's not, it's not that you should neglect the, the negative things that you need to address, but it's kind of nice that like, oh, artistic endeavor foreground, drama and other things in the background. I think that's like a healthy way of like looking through the world, maybe a bit selfish, but I think healthy nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, you know, for example, when, if my girlfriend and I, you know, get into a tiff or difference of opinion and let's say I can like detach with love. I, we've all heard that expression, <laughs> you know, and yeah. uh, it's healthy then to kind of sit in front of my laptop and, you know, work on um, a, a story and immerse myself in that. And, you know, kind of like a meditation in a way. And then, at a later point in time when both of us have kind of settled down, we can come back together and, you know, have it be much, uh, have it deescalate and, mm. and address whatever it is we're talking about in a, in a, in a better, both being in a better place. So I totally agree with you. I, I like that. And I think that it, it's, almost counterintuitive. Like a lot of people, I've spoken to a lot of people who will say, man, I, I'm too emotionally fed up. I can't do that thing I like. I can't, I can't exercise. I can't write. I can't do all of these things I enjoy. And the only thing that they're able to do is, is probably drink, for example, and they will, <laughs> they will drink for three days. And I would argue that that's not really putting you in the better state of mind that you're like, if you decided to drink for three days and then confront your girlfriend, I don't think you're going to be as productive as taking those three days journaling or doing something that you actually enjoy. And then, and then having that conversation. Completely. There's, so there's the satisfaction and self-esteem that comes from writing, but there's also incredible kind of just growth as a, a human being learning and what what that learning can do obviously for you but how you can then pass that on to others going to the gym right we we don't often um sometimes want to go out there and and get on the treadmill but once we're done we feel incredibly like it's a big benefit Yes, yes. And it, it, it's funny because, you know, going back to Rocky, for example, yeah. he was living in poverty, right? Like, like Rocky was living in poverty. He had like rats in his apartment, very nasty. But if he had said, I'm living in poverty and let me just dwell on that right now. I can't, I'm so, I'm so enamored by my poverty. I can't go for this jog right now. He would never have become Rocky. But it's like the fact that he engages in that intense physical activity that distracts him and, and, and sort of builds up his self-esteem in some other way that he's able to deal with the fact that when he comes home at night, oh, this mattress is broken or, oh, the heater is not, is not functioning anymore. Completely. I'm so glad you mentioned that because I was, the reason I saw the movie seven times uh, <laughs> and granted I was young enough and, and crazy enough to do so, but I just loved seeing those sequences where he was training his heart out. Yeah. And it, it just felt like here's somebody who's, like I said, going to go beyond his limits and he's not going to take no for an answer. And um, kind of using that perhaps as a mantra for life and, 
and living. I'm, again, I'm not always going to get what I want or, or what I am searching for. But if I just give it my all, if I give everything I can, blood, sweat, and tears into it, chances are I'm going to make progress, right? Yeah. And, and it doesn't always have to be progress in the face of others. It could just be your internal, like even let, let's just, because Rocky loses at the end. Right. Yeah. But right. I think that even though he loses at the end of the film, he's already discovered, geez, I'm a lot stronger, faster, and more disciplined than I ever thought possible. And that's a victory. That's like a victory in his personal search for meaning, regardless of whether he walks with the heavyweight title or not. Oh, absolutely. And remember at the end, a parody of it here and there, Saturday Night Live, whatever. But, you know, he's yelling for his his girlfriend. He's yelling for Adrian. (laughs) No, Adrian! You know, he's just crying out for her. And that in in that moment, you know, it just shows where his heart is and, and where his mind is. And for us as the audience, it's like, yeah, we want them to be together, right? Right, exactly, yeah. And, you know, that's, that's where he's finding meaning in that moment. Not that he lost, not that he's, you know, he doesn't know if he's going to get a shot at the title again. Uh, all that kind of goes out the window because what did he want to do? He wanted to go the full, was it 12 rounds or 10 rounds, whatever it was. He wanted to make sure that he, that he didn't get knocked out, and he accomplished that. Yes, yes, absolutely. I, and, I think, I, and I think he uplifted himself and the people around him. And I think that is always a, a, yeah. a positive reason to do something. Yeah. Now, we spoke uh, offline a little bit, and you used a term that actually is really making me uh, scratch my chin here with curiosity. You mm-hmm. used the term positive nihilism. Could you elaborate yes. a little bit more on that? Yes. Uh, so positive nihilism, it's kind of a... a an approach where nothing means anything, which is a, a standard nihilist line of thinking, but you know, therefore life is okay. And it seems there are only a very few people who can kind of live that way. Uh, people who find their happiness in a complete lack of meaning. So mm. it is, it is uh, something that uh, people, are engaged in and I can kind of see that that way of uh, carrying yourself through life if nothing means anything but but you're you know fine with it whether you you get the job or lose the job or you know get the the boyfriend or girlfriend or lose lose them then you're you're kind of free and you're uh, you're freed up to have a, a positive mindset so I know it sounds a little bit counterintuitive, right? Yeah, I, I do have a lot of like some questions about this because yeah. you you have the freedom to pursue things that are meaningful. But I think under positive nihilism, you have to be pretty darn disciplined because I think there's a lot of things that you might think are positive for you when in fact they're not. So I, I think that if you were to run with this idea that life has no meaning, it's very easy to kind of just sit on the couch and be like, well, my meaning is going to be Ben and Jerry's ice cream every night, you know? So that's, that's kind of where I have trouble understanding how, how you make that leap of, of, of accepting that there's no meaning in life 
but at the same time, I'm going to do something incredibly positive for myself. Yeah. I, I certainly can see where you're, where you're, you're coming from and, uh, and uh, agree with you, but I'll now at this moment, I'll, I'll reveal who this uh, positive nihilist is a uh, gentleman named Naval, uh, N-A-V-A-L. And so his quote here, I'll just read it verbatim, is there is no meaning to life because if there was, you would not be free. Uh, Basically, in answering your question, you're free as a consequence of there being no meaning. Hmm. So I know, just like you said, it's very hard to stay on the beam with that mindset um, because what, what do you derive from if you get hit by a car, right? Were you free in that moment? Probably not. I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like, I like, I like his quote, Naval. Yeah. Are you like, when he says that you have to be free, right? And I'm, I'm actually just thinking this through right now. Yeah. Are you, you're, but in a way you're kind of not free because you're still forcing yourself to pick a positive endeavor to pursue. So I think mm. that like, it's not total freedom. It, it's, it's freedom in the sense that um, it's kind of like when you have a mom that says you can either read a book or do your homework. And it's like, I really want to play video games. So <laughs> it, it's sort of a situation where you have the choice of what positive activity you're going to do and you're free in that sense but you're not 100 percent free in i can do just about anything and and be all right correct correct yeah you you've got to really discipline yourself if you're going to live by that um set of rules so to speak and even by saying that you know set of rules and implies for me anyway that the freedom is, is, is kind of out the window uh, because you're doing a m- mental gymnastics to, to kind of figure out uh, how, to, how to stay in a positive mindset. But I would say this, I know in my life, I have felt isolated and alone and I actually happened to have a relationship with, uh, I'll just say it, a, a spirituality of my own. But there have been times in my life where I felt completely forgotten and like an outcast and, uh, and hopeless. So I've been there and I've had to find some way in those, at those times to get through. You know, there really is a point in time where, okay, I'm, I can go one way and that's not good. Well, I can just say it, you know, there's the word suicide (laughs) or I can, you know, find a way to uh, find some hope here and carry on and believe that I'll get to the other side of this, this event. And, you know, fortunately in my life, I've been able to choose, you know, and stay with the former, you know, I mean the choosing life over death and it's, it's a, it's a very, precarious place to be and there there's almost like a a nihilism that you have to overcome uh no matter what and that that just is is very 
like I said, a tenuous place to be, but it's also very, you know, when, it, when they say it's darkest before the dawn, it can be a, a moment where you, you can rise even, even a more powerful person because of it. Hmm. Some, some might argue, I, I, I kind yeah. of think of, uh, of my pal Roger, he might argue that when you're in that situation and you choose some positive meaning in your life, what you're actually doing is just you're just throwing away nihilism altogether. You're just negating it in its entirety and saying, okay, I'm choosing this as my meaning and therefore life does have, have purpose. So it, it, it's kind of hard. Like, I, I know that I'm, I'm like, I love what you're saying. I know that I'm like drilling you on the semantics here, but yeah. I, I kind of, I, a part of me does want to agree with Roger and say, it, it's not so much that you're engaged in, positive nihilism it's that you're overcoming the nihilism and choosing a positive pathway for yourself yeah i i i think what you're saying makes a lot of sense and uh sometimes semantics is important because yeah there there's there's literally some call it the jumping off place and for those of us who've been there you know there's there's a fine line between, uh, I'll say it again, between life and death. And so there's got to be some, something catapulting you uh, towards life. And you have to, in that moment, in some ways, disregard the hurricane that's coming your way or whatever it is, uh, whatever metaphor you want to use. And, um, believe that you know you're gonna uh survive it and what would you say that that space is uh in our in our brains or in in our hearts it's just uh comes down to some kind of um without getting religious about it but some kind of hope or faith Mm, mm, i like that um and, and let me just say i would rather be surrounded by a bunch of positive nihilists than a bunch of negative nihilists. So I think, ah, <laughs> I, I think, I think that like, if that's like, if positive nihilism is on the road to meaning, then hop on board. Like, I think that's awesome. <laughs> that's all true. right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, we all, we, we all like have things to overcome and any, any step forward towards meaning. I, I, I always applaud. Last thing I want to touch upon Dallas Let's say you got a sister, you got some loved one in your life, and you're hooked on meaning. You're absolutely hooked and ecstatic, and, and you're living your best life. You're finding, you're, you're traveling the rocky road full of meaning, but you got someone in your life who said, no, I like nice things. I like nice clothing. I like ice cream. I like having fancy restaurants. And they're not, they're not willing to, to, to go on the rocky road with you. And, and they, they're convinced that happiness derives from these nice things. How, how would you begin that conversation, Dallas? Because I, I certainly have trouble with this quite a bit. Yes. And my impulse was to make a joke that my girlfriend likes nice things. <laughs> uh, so does mine. So does mine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, and... Believe me, I, I think that, that there's always uh, going to be some amount of, um, look, you know, wanting to go out for a nice dinner, right? And, sure. you know, couples want to do that. And, and 
by all means that should be done or buying clothes or, you know, that new car. We live in a material world where we have to pay rent and in some ways take a vacation, right? Yeah. We can't be working all the time. But that said, yeah, I, I, I try to um, surround myself with people that are there in, in my circle to um, enrich one another and support one another through, through the good times and the bad times. And we call them fair weather friends, right? People who, you know, they're there with you when, when times are good and you've got money in the bank or whatever, or mm. you're giving them something that they want. And then when you go through a challenging time, they're nowhere to be seen. And that doesn't feel good for anyone. I like I like what you're saying with fair weather friends. I think that's a really good phrase, and I imagine it this way: is is this person a real friend? So imagine you have a friend that's walking back back to our analogy with the pathway, with the one with the chipmunks and the roses, and that friend is awesome to you while you're on the nice path. But then all of a sudden you take a detour, and now you're on the rocky path, and they become a complete jerk. So I, I think like the, the turbulence that you experience in your life reveals to you who your true friends are and, and who, who you can really trust. Incredibly, you, you described something that I went through actually with a family member and I won't get into the details, but basically it was, it was a situation where I got, you know, they turned on me and it created a, a rift, you know, that eventually we got over, but at the time, you know, it really felt uh, like a betrayal. So it can happen with friends. It can happen with family members. And um, it's a scary place to be because, you know, people who are close to us, we want to be able to trust them. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, and this is very true. And it's like, if, if, um, if you're meaning like, and, and I, I think this is kind of what catches this. If your meaning is tied to happiness and you have someone in your life, that's a happiness seeker. As soon as you're unable to provide them happiness, they don't want any part of you. They're like, Oh, th this, this person stopped being a fountain of happiness and cool vacations and buying me new expensive gifts. And now they, they, you, they, you compl they completely run away from you. So I, I don't know how much meaning there is in just being with somebody who likes happiness. Wow. That's, that's so profound what you just said, because uh, un unfortunately it does happen. I don't want to say time and time again, but you, know, you really discover if people are, are with you for the right reasons. Correct. And um there's, uh, I'm happy to say my current girlfriend has supported me through, um, yeah, I'll just say, you know, with the pandemic, you know, like three quarters of America yeah. ran into some unemployment uh, in some form of the, or another. And uh, I was certainly one of those people. So it was nice that, you know, she was supportive and, and not only looked out for me, but really stood by me and, and gave me, uh, she actually gave me a lot of tips on where to find work and how to 
you know, maneuver and navigate uh, during these uncertain times. And that was a great feeling uh, because um, it's tough when you're in a pandemic and your girlfriend leaves you, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, yes. Because you can't buy her, you know, X, Y, or Z. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And, you know, I, I also have to just uh, shout out my girlfriend too. Yi, thank uh -huh. you so much for uh, sticking with me through the good and bad. And, and yes, I, I, I think that, that that is one of the things that you want to find in other people. Like you don't want to just find people that are interested in nice things and just interested in happiness for the sake of happiness because when the dark times happen and they always do like like anyone who thinks that they're rich enough to avoid all dark like it doesn't always have to be money it could be your health you know um i was i i was speaking to a nurse a few days ago and she was treating a a patient and this guy was sick in the hospital and that's when his wife decided to just leave him like just, just was like, no, no, I, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. And, mm -hmm. and like, I, I'm maybe again, who am I to judge to jump in there and say, what was the circumstance behind that? But at the same time, I'm, I'm wondering perhaps this, this, this uh, wife, if maybe she had a happiness oriented mindset. And as soon as her husband became ill and no longer able to provide happiness, she kind of did not see meaning in him anymore. Wow. That's uh, really tough to hear. I'm so sorry that that was what she, her, her ultimate assessment was because uh, there's a lot more to people than that, right? Right, exactly. So I, I think that, you know, when we talk about these issues, it's not just a question of somebody being like a spoiled brat and be like, oh my God, you eat too much ice cream or oh my God, you... Uh, you ring up the credit card bill every single month. It's a question of like, where are your values? And will you be with, will you still be with me or will you still be in my life if all of these things disappear? Yeah. And I, I, I think what we've been uh, touching on uh, throughout our conversation is happiness. Again, I want to reemphasize this point is I don't want to suggest, neither are you suggesting that it's a bad thing. I mean, you know, happiness is profound and, and in many ways um, allows us to carry on. But I would say, you know, I'm not going to be alive forever, right? And I'm not going to be happy all the time. Yes, so, that's true. Uh, you know, I can't, I can't rely on happiness to, to be my guiding force. And I think that's that's the distinction that we're making. I think I think so. I think I think we should try and aim to take looks at the beautiful path, but we also have to embrace life when we're forced to walk along the rocky road. Yeah, I think I think that will do it, Dallas. Thank okay. you so much for being here, sir. This was a wonderful conversation. Aaron, thank you so much. My pleasure. This concludes the twenty-second episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.